0: You are listening to The Last Chapter of The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 27 Ain, June 2005. I have a contact at the British Museum, Jimmy had said. Dr. Andy Cardwell. He'll know how to get the ball rolling. I'll fax him my prelim report and he'll jump on it like a fox on a mouse. Can I give him your mobile number? I called Mark, told him what I'd found and made arrangements to pick him up tomorrow evening at the train station. Andy Cardwell called. I'd worked with him in London and respected him. He said he'd be flying in tomorrow evening as well and had requested that the local coroner wait to inspect the scene until he was there. "'I know him,' said Andy. "'Dr. Jankle. "'He's a bit of an amateur archaeologist "'and is ex- excited about the possibilities of this as we are. "'I think he hopes as much as we do "'that this is not a modern crime scene. "'He said he'd wait.' "'The next morning, yellow police tape surrounded the bog "'and a uniformed policeman stood guard. "'We didn't have access, but I didn't have to worry about looters, "'just Stephen Treadwell, who was talking to the guard as I walked up. "'Constable!' said Stephen. Do you think the sale of the property can still go through? I don't want anything to stand in the way of my father being able to retire. He had such an innocent and serious look on his face. I almost wanted to slap him. Worried about his father retiring my foot, he just wanted the money. I definitely wasn't going to throw a spanner in the mix here. "'but I knew, if it were what I suspected, "'the sale could be on hold for a while, "'and I didn't think the older Mr. Treadwell would mind a bit.' "'I don't know about any sale of land, sir,' said the constable, "'but you and the lady will have to leave now. "'My orders are to keep everyone away "'until we determine what this is.' Stephen took off in his truck,' "'dust spinning from its back tires, and I walked up the hill. "'All the evidence pointed to it being an ancient person. "'It must have been a sacred lake. "'Other sacrificial items had been found there. "'This body was probably an important person. "'I could hardly think straight, imagining all the possibilities. "'And I was dizzy and constantly having to pee. "'I spent the day on the hilltop, my crew working while I sat in a chair, "'watching the bog, and making trips to our portable facility.' "'Gods, I didn't need the flu on top of everything else.' "'I met Mark at the train station, "'and after I made a stop at the W.C., he said, "'Ain, you're pale. Are you feeling well?' Um, "'Not really. I, I think it's a touch of the flu. "'I've been so excited that I haven't slept well. "'That may be exacerbating it. I'll be better in the morning. "'Now, come on. Our bed is waiting.' "'I fell asleep after our lovemaking. "'The bed that had seemed so empty and cold.' "'was now warm and comfortable. "'My mobile rang five times before I could find it "'under that pile of clothes "'that we had dumped in our rush last night. "'I laid back down and answered. "'Hello?' "'I sounded muffled to my ears, "'and my mouth tasted like a pickle herring. "'Not a good way to start a day or a conversation. "'I told myself not to move too fast, "'and I might just be able to make it through this call. "'Is this Ane McCrae? THE VOICE WAS NOT FAMILIAR AND I WINCED. I HAD TO PEE AND MY STOMACH WAS JUST BEGINNING TO WAKE UP. Ah, uh, yes, it is. This is Mr. George Weymouth's solicitor, John Critchfield. I wanted to double-check the address we have for you. I'm sending a messenger to you with papers for you to sign. What? What do I need to sign? MY bladder WAS BEGINNING TO SCREAM. Mr. George Wymouth left you a good-sized sum of money, and you need to be able to prove your identity to the messenger and then sign the papers he is carrying. After he returns, we can transfer the funds to any financial institution you request. I walked to the bathroom as he spoke. Can't he just bring the check here and let me sign it so I can get the cash? I'm short of funds and sure could use it now without having to go through the bank account. I don't think that would be a very good idea, Miss McCrae. We're talking about a very substantial amount here. I didn't think George had much money, and as I sat down on the toilet, I remembered Sarah telling me he had divided it up between her, the university, and me. I was sure not much was coming to me. Um, just how much is a substantial amount? He told me. Later, I hoped my scream drowned out the sound of my peeing. One thought ran through my mind. I would have enough to buy Mr. Treadwell's farm and several surrounding farms if I wanted. Oh, my God, I was going to be able to work on my site and not worry about making a living elsewhere for a very long time. Mark would be able to retire and work with me, to the chagrin of his peers. Later, Mark and I arrived at the bog to see Andy talking to a man I assumed was Dr. Jankel and a woman with a camera all crouched into the trench. Andy smiled at us, through the muck on his face, and gave us the thumbs-up. A weight lifted off my chest. In a few minutes, he climbed out and walked to us. "'Hi, Aine. This looks really good. Dr. Jankel and I agree that a sample should go to Glasgow and have it carbon-dated as soon as possible. I'm going to carry it myself. It should only take a day or two. We aren't going to move anything until the results come through.' If it is what I think it is, then I will get a team here to remove the body. Oh, that's good news. I'm glad you're going to be a part of this, Andy. A part of it? Yes, Aine. But if it is an ancient find, your name will be the one on everyone's tongue. Good job. The rest of the day I was giddy and bounced around like a child. I blamed my now constant dizziness on not being able to eat. I blamed that on what Andy had said and the fact I had signed the solicitor's papers and designated a bank for the inheritance later that same day. When I woke up the next morning and spent 30 minutes hanging over the toilet, Mark drove me into the doctor's office in Fort William. "'This is ridiculous. No flu lasts this long,' he said. He was right. I was seven weeks pregnant. "'Of course!' That explains all the moodiness and throwing up. I, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a baby. Oh, no. Do, do you think I'm too old to be a mom? Mark, I'm so sorry. I don't want to cry, but I don't know what to think. Ain, I love that we're going to have a baby. I'm happy. I've wanted a family, and now you're pregnant with our baby. He took my hand and led me to a bench surrounded by a small garden in a park "'across the street from the doctor's office. "'I sat down and he sat next to me, both of my hands in his. "'Ain, we've had a lot of life experience "'since the last time I almost asked this question. "'You weren't ready then. "'Hell, neither was I. "'I think we are ready now and can make a go of it if you want to.' "'He stopped, looking at me as if he were waiting for an answer. "'Make a go of what?' "'I wouldn't let him off that easily.' "'All right, all right. "'Ain, will you marry me?' "'I looked at his beaming face, "'his sparkling blue eyes, "'and smiled through my tears. "'Do you know that when we get married "'I'll be as fat as a cow?' "'No, not fat. "'You'll be showing the world the proof of our love. "'You'll be showing them the next generation of hunts.' "'I love you.' Yes I'll marry you we leaned in to kiss and my stomach chose that moment to remind us that I was pregnant fortunately i turned my head just in time and hung on to the back of the bench as my hormones caused me to rid myself of my morning tea definitely not the romantic proposal i was sure mark was expecting we went back to the hilltop after stopping to get some soda crackers at the corner shop that night after mark finally fell asleep i was restless so much had happened in such a short time. I was still processing much of it, and as tired as I was, I still couldn't go to sleep. I was on the couch, a light throw over my legs, looking at the full moon. There it was, the rabbit holding the egg. I could point it out to my baby some day, just like my mother did for me. Then I smelled smoke. Heat smoke. Jonna was coming. I hadn't had a visit from her for a long time, and I welcomed this one— I hoped she could tell how happy I was. The room faded from my sight, and I saw through her eyes. Warm sunlight flooded the scene, and a strong young man and woman stood tall in front of me. If I reached my hand out, I could touch them. Their raven black hair ruffled in a breeze, and both looked at me with intense hazel eyes. The young woman held a baby. The man turned his head to look down on the woman with love, and his arms surrounded her in protection. This was an ancient picture. The woman held the baby girl up for me to see, and then I saw the baby's bare feet. The babe had my toes. The first one after the big toe was longer than the rest. Then the woman looked at me and spoke. My mother told me about you. I was too young to understand. She told me you would be the one to tell our story. I feel you now. See the babe my father died for? The infant my mother sent me away to protect. My clan is gone. We have heard stories of the deaths of many. But here, now, we are safe. We are on an island. I have married and love the man standing here with me. There are others here who also found this island. We have a new clan. My husband is the chieftain. This is now and our future. Understand that we will live on. You will see us in all the children and children's children that come. We will make it so. My father was sacrificed to make it so. It is time for you to sing our song, storyteller. The prayer I prayed the night before I found the man in the bog ran through my head. Blood of our blood, do not forget us. Blood of our blood. I understood. Suddenly, the same intense grief that hit me when I first saw the body in the bog flooded over me again. My heart beat so fast I thought it would jump out of my body. A band constricted my chest, and I could only take shallow breaths. Then, as fast as they had come, everyone was gone. The memory of it faded like a dream in the morning. Only a wisp of it was left in my heart. I fell asleep, wishing Jana would come back one more time. Mark found me and gently carried me to bed where I snuggled next to him, the man who looked at me with love in his eyes, the man who would stand next to me in my search for my family. With him... I would continue the bloodline of the Macraes with this baby. A girl with my raven black hair, my toes, and his blue eyes. The phone woke me up for the second morning in a row. It's Jim, ain'. I was beginning to like these early morning calls. Andy is talking to London right now and let me call you to tell you the good news. Holy cow, ain'! you have the discovery of the year for Great Britain. I'm going to venture a guess and say it is the find for the world this year. I dated the body of this man to about 80 A.D., give it a plus or minus 15 years. It still puts you in the category of this not being a recent crime. He chuckled. I think the coppers will let you go now. Hey, this is close to the age of the woman in the bowl, right? Yes, Jimmy, it all fits together. You've made me a very happy person. Two things were now shaping my future, my new family and my discovery. Andy called me to arrange the excavation and transportation of the body. Mark and I headed up the excavation team. We respectfully and carefully removed the body. Stephen and Mr. Treadwell helped and supplied almost all the equipment with news crews from all over Great Britain watching. I wanted to be married in Scotland, so before we left, we stopped into the registrar's office and started the process of producing our previous spouse's death records and completing all the other paperwork. It would take several months to process. We flew to London with the body, and within the next week, Mark and I had moved back into my small apartment and purchased a new bed and a crib. I continued getting fat while doing the most fascinating research I could ever think of doing with mark there to share in all the discoveries tim had decided to take a year off from his graduate program so he still managed the hilltop site for me i asked him to start plans to build a more permanent structure so we could thoroughly excavate the hilltop and the bog his family was in construction so he knew the steps he needed to take and i had the money i needed to make it happen we conferred with a scotland secretary of state's office to make sure we complied with the planning process and scheduled monuments procedures policies. Stephen Treadwell helped arrange an agreement with the hotel, even with the hilltop and bog on the list of protected monuments. The hotel decided they could build the parking lot on the other side of the building. Stephen actually led us through some tricky paperwork, so it all ended well, especially with a bit of extra money from me. I'm sure it helped that I had asked the museum to name our bog man the Treadwell Man. I did it to honor Mr. Treadwell, but Stephen enjoyed the popularity as well. The museum agreed, because we'd uncovered him on the Treadwell land. The research kept us so busy I'd barely noticed time passing. One thing reminded me, however, I was getting bigger and bigger. I had trouble finding a dress that I liked that would fit me for my wedding. Finally, my friend, Ronnie Craig, took me shopping a few days before the wedding. "'Ain, you seem to be in a very good place. "'You have come to terms with your time with Brad "'and are ready to step into a new path. "'You and Mark are supposed to be together, "'and now the stars will line up to light your future. "'Your baby is healthy, "'and you're going to find answers for questions "'you have had in your heart for a long time.'" I hugged her to me when she told me my unborn baby girl was healthy. I didn't need to hear anything more. We found a beautiful, long, forest-green dress that I felt comfortable in, and Mark said the color was perfect with my eyes. Mark and I were married in September at the Fort William Registrar's office. After, we invited a small gathering of friends to the hilltop. Ronnie, of course. Kendi and Matt now married themselves, and Tim came. Mr. Treadwell and Stephen were there. Jim Cowley from Glasgow and even Andy Cardwell and Susan, his wife, took the weekend off to come up. Everyone raised a champagne toast to us, though mine was apple juice. When I could break away, I took a walk to John's home and lifted my glass to her. Thank you for leading me here and trusting me to tell your story. I will do the best I can. A brush of warm air lifted the ends of my hair as it lay on my shoulders like a mother's touch. I swallowed my juice and returned to the party. July, 2007 "'Our beautiful baby girl Janelle was born in February 2006. "'At the first chance I unwrapped her "'and counted all her fingers and toes. "'Her first toes were longer than her big toes, just like mine. "'Just like the baby I saw in my last awake dream with Jana. "'She also had a full head of black hair. "'She'll probably lose all this hair. "'It's normal,' the nurse had said. "'It would be a shame, though. "'It is so long and pretty.' Janelle hadn't lost her hair. It just kept getting longer. Now it shines as it curls and ripples down her back, and she kept Mark's blue eyes. She was of our blood. I'd stayed home for three long weeks after her birth. I used my webcam, phone, and email to work with the lab. When I went back, we set up a corner nursery for Janelle near us. She was fed and learned to laugh among the relics of an ancient people. Day by day we unraveled more of Laverne's secrets. I carried a respect for him that I will have until my death. His face was peaceful and his hands unbound. He'd volunteered for death. I couldn't fathom that. It was a question that followed me everywhere. We found and made copies of his many tattoos. We saw paint in crevices that told us he had been painted three colors before his death. We even looked into his stomach and listed the ingredients of his meager last meal, but none of these discoveries answered my question. Finally, all the work we could do on him with the knowledge we had was done. The British Museum carefully preserved his body so that as our skills and knowledge increased or new inventions came along, we would learn more about him. All the bog bodies that were found in Great Britain and the world brought life back into archaeology. Everyone who looked at these bodies wondered what kind of life they had lived. Looking at a human body, not just a piece of pottery, was so much more tangible for our minds to grasp, and a stained body trapped in a bog for centuries let our imaginations fly. Tricia Jones, an artist and a member of our research team, created his face in wax, or what it might have looked like before the pressures of the bog deformed it. They displayed his body and wax face together. We published our report in February on Janelle's first birthday. We were back in Scotland. Janelle was 18 months old. It seemed strange to count her age in months. I usually counted in hundreds or tens of hundreds of years. She was so young, and she moved so fast. When I took her to the hilltop site, I had to keep a constant watch out for her. Familiar with the people there, she was comfortable and thought the piles of dirt were hers to play in. I loved watching her play in the center of the fort by the well, where I imagined other babies had learned to walk so many years ago. Mark would swing her up into his arms, place her on his shoulders, and both, laughing, they would go to pick the yellow flowers in the field below the fort. I had the rights to use the Treadwell Man Report as a background and write a book. That is one reason we were back in Scotland. I wanted to be near the place where he had lived. I wanted to breathe the same air and see the same mountains. I also wanted to watch over the work on my hill. My instinct told me the ashes I found and the man in the bog should be together. I gave the bronze bowl and its contents to Andy to be displayed with the bog man. According to the carbon dating of the cremated remains, This man and woman could have lived simultaneously, and I like to believe they knew each other. On certain days, especially when I had time to visit both displays, the romantic in me believed they had more of a relationship than we will ever be able to prove. My scientific background would sometimes let in a picture of two people in love walking and talking through the grove of trees or fields filled with sheep that surrounded the fort. Janna, in my mind, had a face that looked somewhat like mine. The man, the face Tricia had given him. I wondered what they would have thought of today's Scotland. Autos, planes, computers. As Druids, they probably would have mourned for the loss of nature. The freedom the Picts fought for was not yet realized. Their future held wars with the Romans and themselves, the Norse, the Irish, and even in modern times, Culloden and the loss of traditions and our kings. Now we are able to at least have our own parliament, a small freedom. Jonna had not visited since the last time we saw the baby. I hoped she was finally at peace. I was editing the draft of my book. Mark, I said as I walked into the kitchen. He was fixing dinner and Janelle was already in bed for the night. I want to give him a name. Who? "'The Treadwell Man. He needs a name. I can't go on calling him TTM. Let's give him a name.' "'All right. A name. Hmm. Well, you know how important animal names were to the Celts.' "'Most of his body was tattooed. He was a Pict,' I said. "'He wore a fur band around his arm. What was it?' "'Fox,' I said. "'Right. Fox. A foxtail, I remember,' Mark said as he stirred our pasta." to keep it from boiling over. Toss the salad. I grabbed the oil and vinegar and began to lift lettuce and tomatoes around in a bowl. He wouldn't have been wearing it unless it meant something to him. He also had reddish hair like a fox. And the fox was important to the Celts, or the Picts. It's found inscribed in the earliest writings, and some folk sword dancers still wear fox hats. Okay, pasta's ready. Then it's Lavernios, or Laverne the fox. I'll be right back. I have to wash my hands. Actually, I had to wipe my eyes because tears started flowing as soon as I had said the name Laverne. This was his story. I walked into my study to write the name down, and my stereo was on. I was listening to Scottish folk songs while I wrote for inspiration. One, titled Painted Men by Steve Macdonald was playing, and its words cut right through me. With spear and sword in their hand, people from far away land made their home here. The Scotties did battle them so, they were a terrible foe, knowing no fear. I closed my eyes, looked deep inside, I see them again. Pictures disguise the fire in their eyes, like stars in the sky, the painted men. The last two lines rang so true. Gone is the race, with the tattooed embrace, the storybook face of the painted man. Laverne was a painted man, one who once had fire in his eyes. Two days later I asked Mark, "'Why do you think he died?' "'Oh, I thought you had that one figured out already. As you lifted the garret from his neck, you said you thought it was a sacrifice, not an execution.' "'Yes, I still believe that, but I want to talk it through "'so I can make sure my facts are straight in my book.' "'Well,' said Mark, "'he was a sacrifice or ritual killing, "'not a slave or a prisoner forced to death. "'They didn't tie his hands, "'and he had evidence of the ritual burned bread in his stomach, "'along with pieces of heather and mistletoe pollen,' Mark said. "'He was recently shaved and was painted three colors. "'We all agree he was sacrificed to three gods.' Isus, who required a stab or a knife-slash, his throat was cut. The burned bannock he ate just before death, which represented fire, and the three blows to his head honored Terenus, the god of family and clans. And because of the god Tuatates he was given a watery grave, I said. We found him in a bog that was once a sacred lake, the Black Lake, according to a local legend. Remember his hands, soft hands, not calloused by physical work. He must have been a druid. Oh, and his toes? I compared them to yours when we took the x-ray of his foot. Mark had a silly grin on his face. Okay, I remember. It's not rare, just uncommon. But let's stay focused. I wonder if the sacrifice had anything to do with the Roman invasion. They were marauding in the highlands just about that time. Could have, but it's all conjecture, theory. Unless he starts talking, that's all we have. Yes, but it makes sense. I mean for the sacrifice. But I still can't understand how someone can give up his life voluntarily for something like that. Sorry, I don't have any more answers than you have. Oh, well, thanks. I'll go work on my theory. And I went back to my computer. Several months later, still mulling over the question that was always in the back of my mind, I looked out the window of the small room I called my office, over a garden filled with various colors of ranunculus bulbs in full bloom. With the blue sky as a backdrop, the vista was vivid, yet calming. My book was about ready to go to the editor's, but my mind was still trying to come to terms with Laverne's sacrifice. I knew his religious beliefs were strong. They were his reason for being a Druid. He believed he would be going to live with the gods. It was hard for me to justify this as being enough to allow him to give his life so calmly as to not to be tied up. Life was sacred. We fight for it subconsciously when in danger. Mark and I, both lapsed Catholics, didn't practice our religion, but I remember as a child that I firmly believed the saints watched over me. Many a time when I played tricks on my brother Donnie, I asked forgiveness from them, knowing I would be forgiven and be able to go to heaven. Terrorists in today's world claim religion as their reason for killing themselves and taking others with them. But can that be enough? Some of the so-called terrorists have to be tied into their cars made into bombs. How did Laverne give his life so calmly? And the thought still niggled at the very dark recesses of my mind. How did Donnie... Do what he did. Our front door opened, and I heard Mark and Janelle come in from their trip to the grocer's. She was laughing, and he was talking about the big dog they had seen down the street. Woof woof! Doggy says woof! I smiled as I marveled how our language skills have grown to include baby talk. She had a good sized vocabulary now, but we had a hard time getting out of the habit of the hobbit language. Down! Down! I heard this and imagined her squirming in his arms, making it difficult to hold on to her. "'Okay, down,' said Mark. Her fast steps came in my direction, and I squatted so she could run into my waiting arms. She came barreling around the corner, her face filled with her smile. She was looking for me, wanting to be sure her family was whole and she was safe. I waited to reassure her safety and kiss her dark hair as she fell into my arms.' Mark stepped into the doorframe, smiling. It's a glorious day out there, and we saw every cat and dog in the neighborhood, but she couldn't wait to get home to you. The idea hit me so hard, I sat down on the floor. He'd had a family. He'd had a child. Donnie always said he'd join the military to keep the fight away from his family, his kids, even before he had kids. I saw Laverne's family in my mind. In my dream, they were standing on the path above the hillfort, looking down over his home. He was the man standing with Jonna, a child's hand in his. It all fell into place. He died for his family. We'd give our lives for our loved ones, our blood. Now I understood the phrase in my prayer. We died for you. We live through you. "'Blood of our blood. "'He gave up his life to Tuatis, "'God of the family, the tribe. "'He was trying to keep his child from the Romans. "'I would die for Janelle if I needed to. "'Of course he died for his child. "'Mark, he had a child. "'Maybe the little girl I saw in my vision. "'He traded his life to the gods so she could live. "'I know she lived. "'I saw her.' with her husband and baby. His blood continued. What? I thought druids were chaste like priests. Well, so we think. But what if? And how many popes have we known who've had families before? And who knows how many children after becoming popes? Maybe he was the exception. Exception or not, I don't think any of this will fit into your book. You can't prove it and it's all based on your dreams and ghost visits. Oh, I know. But now I understand how he could stand still and give his life without a fight. He must have done it to protect his child, I said. Well, I have to admit, I'd step in front of a speeding car to stop Janelle from being hurt. I'd easily trade my life for hers. So, if that's what's happened, I can understand that. I'll start dinner. Coming soon? Yes. Please take Janelle and give her some milk. I'll come in and give her some bananas in a few minutes. A blank document came up on my screen, and I started typing. Laverne's Sacrifice. Approximately A.D. 80. Mons Grapius. A.D. 84. Many early Picts or Celts were defeated and died during this battle between the naked painted men and the Romans, those still alive after the battle ran to the hills or back to their villages. They killed, sacrificed loved ones, families, and themselves, so the Romans couldn't enslave them. I am sure some escaped. I believe Laverne's child escaped, and I saw her on a hill, maybe one on Skye, through Janna's eyes, grown and holding a baby. I remembered the child's toes. I recall the note from my ancestor describing the toes of his dead son after the Battle of Glencoe. I slipped off my shoe and looked at my toes, the same as Janelle's toes. He had succeeded. His blood still flowed through our veins. My heart skipped a beat as I realized how hard it must have been for Jana to tell me her story. She led me to the hill to find her and to the bog to find Laverne. I will never be able to share how I felt when Jonah entered my mind and gave me the pictures I needed to find her. I hope she knows how hard I will try to get her story told. In my deepest belief... I know Janna and the man in the bog, the one I named Laverne, were partners, maybe husband and wife. I promise, Janna and Laverne, Janelle will know your story, our family's story, and I will never forget you. Blood of our blood, do not forget us. In the darkest of the nights buried we lie. We dream to have our voices heard again. We beg you to find us, to bring us back. Blood of our blood, do not forget us. Our souls continue with the gods. We died for you. We lived through you again. Tell our story so we may live again. Blood of our blood. I haven't told Mark, but every once in a while, especially, just before falling asleep, I feel her again. She's a young soul, a strong soul, and I know she wants me to find her. I've decided I will go back to Skye. I'm being pulled there. I've told Mark I want to find more about the young man in the note that had been handed down in my family. But most of all, I have to try to find Chrissy. I think she's the first McRae on Skye. My blood. Donnie's blood. Janelle's blood. She's waiting for me to find her there. Somewhere. One life. One love but I shall remember thee from one life to the next, for the memory of the living is the dwelling place of the dead. Steve MacDonald Special Thanks Lyrics used by permission in The Fox I will return by Steve MacDonald from Sons of Summerled www.etherian.com owned by Verena BMI Soldiers Lament by Steve McDonald from Sons of Summerlid, www.etherian.com, owned by Verena BMI. Painted Men by Steve McDonald, Stone of Destiny, www.etherian.com, owned by Verena BMI. Thank you to The Life and Death of a Druid Prince, How the Discovery of Lindau Man Revealed the Secrets of a Lost Civilization by Anne Ross and Don Robbins. This was the last chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radasky. This story was a labor of love for me, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did writing and recording it. It will be printed and for sale soon in Amazon and BookSearch.com. When you go to my website, www.radasky.com, you will find links to buy it as soon as it comes online. I'm going to read the beginning of my next book, Seahawk, and then introduce Steve MacDonald's song. Sea Hawk, Scarabray the mainland, Orkneys, Scotland, 2410 B.C. Waves crash against the cliffs, nothing has changed. I stand on the brim of the outlook, leaning over the edge. My white hair drips sea spray. There it is, the rock ledge where the nest had been. My mind spins and I step back to regain my balance. Memories beating their wings in my head. It was here my life changed. This is where I stand in my dreams and watch as my home is destroyed. My dream. My vision. The storm is whipping and dark, the wind strong, one that would sink our boats if the fishermen did not know their craft. I stand as tall as a hedge buried to my ankles in the wind-blown sand, and face my village. I see my home is there on the edge of the circle, one of the last to be built on the side of the sea. Something is out of place. The roof is not secure on my home. It blows up and away. I try to call out, but my mouth is rigid and does not move. Helpless, I watch as the wind-carried sand fills my empty bed and removes all traces of my life. The black sea waves finish the destruction by spinning the wall stones out to the depth where the whales play. Every time I wake up, breathing hard and salty with sweaty fear deep in my gut, it seems so real. So I came back, to feel the stone walls of my home. They still stand, but the village is empty, my bed not slept in, my mother and father dead. The corridors echo with forgotten laughter and tears of my childhood, and now the cry of the baby gulls that nest in the rocky nooks. My people are gone. My life is almost over. My complaints are that I cannot walk on steady feet. Chewing more than bread is a chore, and my bowels do not behave as they should. And I am alone. My love is dead. My son is dead. And my daughter's left behind. I have lived more years than are remembered in the memories of those still alive. I have lived four times two hands and more. I am tired. Next is the music. The music I have played after each chapter was an inspiration to me as I wrote The Fox. I listened and ideas for my story would flood into my head. Steve's songs were picked to fit every chapter and I hope you have listened and gone on to make some of Steve McDonald's music your own. I was given permission by Steve and Etherian to use his music in my podcasts. This song is The Painted Men from his album Stone of Destiny that can be found at www.etherian.com. If you have enjoyed this story and its music, please leave a comment on patiobooks.com, iTunes, or my website. Go to my website to learn more about me, the Fox, and Seahawk at www.radasky.com.